Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. You know, we used to have, we used to deal with something called sudden infant death syndrome. And it was always shocking when it happened, especially if it happened to somebody that you knew. Now we just have sudden death syndrome and nobody wants to talk about it. And right away, I'm a conspiracy nut if I bring it up. But I, I just find something really um, unnatural about, you know, a tennis player who's in the prime of their life, uh, 31 years old, former college tennis star Lily Kimbell, who dies after massive heart attacks and you know and and their families are forced to make decisions to like take them off life support and stuff like that and if i dare to say did she have, was she vaccinated you know um w- w- can we ask that question no we're not allowed we're not allowed to ask that question now they're saying oh she had a kidney condition that she was unaware of and and that may very well be the precipitating feature to her death, but after looking at the story today, first the story that Alex Berenson had had published, and then the story that my friend had sent me, and my friend used to be work in the field of vaccines, uh, and Dr. Anthony Fauci has now admitted that the mRNA COVID vaccines are ineffective and are probably not approvable. In in fact, he co-authored a bombshell paper just last month suggesting that all vaccines for common respiratory viruses, that would be flu, COVID, all these vaccines, may face intractable hurdles. And that's not even the worst news, right? Three scientists pointed out that flu shots barely work and couldn't be approved based on the standards used for vaccines like measles vaccines. After more than 60 years of experience with influenza vaccines, very little improvement in vaccine prevention of infection has been noted. Or best approved influenza vaccines would be inadequate for licensure for most other vaccine preventable diseases. Yeah. So there have been papers, very well, uh, you know, documented papers that have proven that flu shots are placebos masquerading as public policy. But then the same scientists compared the beloved groundbreaking COVID vaccines to those pointless flu jabs. And you can see that uh, the variant SARS-CoV-2 strains that are emerging prove that the vaccines, just like the influenza vaccines with an ever-changing influenza virus, aren't working. 
And so just in case you were wondering, who are these vicious anti-vax rebels in the medical field? Three researchers at the NIH, including one whose name just may sound a little familiar to you. That's right, Dr. Anthony Fauci. No wonder he retired. Yet the COVID flu shot comparison is only one of the article's bombshells. At its core, the piece raises the question of whether any vaccines can ever work well enough to matter against bugs like the common coronaviruses, influenza, or this RSV. And that question hides an even more troubling one, one that nobody wants to ask or answer. Have our efforts to beat the SARS-CoV-2 by driving our immune response in ways it wasn't designed to go, have they caused dangers we're only beginning to understand? I'm beginning to see the proof that that's true. These sudden deaths of young, relatively healthy people. And yes, even when they find like a mitigating, you know, heart condition or a kidney condition or something else, would it have happened if they had not had the vaccine, which then wreaked some kind of havoc on their immune systems? I'm sorry, but I'm angry. And you should be too. You know, if I were an attorney, I have, uh, you know, I gave birth to one, but he's not in the uh, in the field that would be required to actually do a class action suit on behalf of not just the American people, but people all over the globe who were basically not cajoled, but mandated to put something in their body, something completely unnatural, something completely unvetted, some complete, something completely useless. <laughs> and now maybe suffering from long-term horrible events, including massive heart attacks in young people. And for what? These guys, including Anthony Fauci, that piece of garbage, that's what he is, a piece of garbage, admitting that, eh, you know, the mRNA COVID vaccines really hardly work and they probably couldn't get approved. Really? You low-life... I'm serious, like, you know, and then he goes, oh, uh, they, they don't believe in the science. I am the science. Apparently, you're really bad science is what you are. And you didn't worry about what could happen to young people. You didn't worry about fertility. Now we're seeing all these uh, unbelievable stories about women with all kinds of uh, fertility issues and menopause and uh, early onset menopause and early onset perimenopause for these adolescents that we shot these vaccines into. But we don't really care about the human being anymore. We just don't, right? And the proof is that uh, there's a fabulous piece on Substack today. Let me see if I can e even pull it up. I mean, it's fabulous, but it's so disturbing that I literally sobbed throughout the whole thing reading it. Literally, I sobbed because it told me once and for all that people like Abigail Schreier and people like me, we were right. What we have done to young people is criminal, absolutely criminal. And we got away with it, or they're getting away with it. I certainly didn't have any part of it. But this idea that we are going to uh, you know, literally allow 
young girls to cut off parts of their body, young boys to cut off parts of their body, um, to, to, to inject hormones into their bodies that they have no idea what the long-term effects could be on them. Well, actually, now we're finding that we do know what the long-term effects are going to be on them. And it's not good. It's really not good. So we got a whistleblower who has stepped forward. And this whistleblower said, I worked for a long time. Uh, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was saving transgendered kids, a person named Jamie Reed. Now, mind you, in case the first thing that comes out of your, you know, your advocates or your adversary's mouth is, oh, well, you're transphobic or you're, uh, you're against LGBTQ, the person who's the whistleblower, the person writing this article on Substack, is a 42-year-old St. Louis native, a queer woman, politically to the left of Bernie Sanders, who happens to be a uh, married to a trans man who is helping her to raise her uh, biological children and three, you know, foster kids. So this is not the picture of a, you know, a MAGA supporter crazy. She's married to a trans man, raising two biological children from a previous marriage and three foster kids they hope to adopt. Now listen to what she says, because this is relevant. I've spent my professional life providing counseling to vulnerable populations, children in foster care, sexual minorities, and the poor. For almost four years, I worked at the Washington University School of Medicine Division of Infectious Diseases with teens and young adults who are HIV positive. Many of them were trans or otherwise gender nonconforming, and I could relate. Throughout childhood and adolescence, I did a lot of gender questioning myself. All that led me to a job in 2018 as a case manager at the University Transgender Center at St. Louis uh, Children's Hospital, which had been established a year earlier. The center's working assumption was that the earlier you treat kids with gender dysphoria, the more anguish you can prevent later on. This premise was shared by the center's doctors and therapists, and given their expertise, I assumed that abundant evidence backed this consensus. During the four years I worked as the clinic, at the clinic as a case manager, I was responsible for patient intake and oversight. Around 1,000 distressed young people came through our doors. The majority of them received hormone prescriptions that can have life-altering consequences, including sterility. I left the clinic in November of last year because I could no longer participate in what was happening there. By the time I departed, I was certain that the way the American medical system is treating these patients is the opposite of the promise we make to do no harm. Instead, we are permanently harming the vulnerable patients in our care. Today, I am speaking out. I am doing so knowing how toxic the public conversation is around this highly contentious issue and the ways that my testimony might be misused. I'm doing so knowing that I'm putting myself at serious personal and professional risk. Almost everyone in my life advised me to keep my head down, but I cannot in good conscience do so because what is happening to scores of children is far more important than my comfort and what is happening to them is morally and medically appalling. You know, she said, you know, when I first got there, the patient population was tipped towards what used to be the traditional instance of a child with gender dysphoria, a boy, 
often quite young, who wanted to present as, who wanted to be a girl. Until 2015 or so, a very small number of these boys comprised the population of pediatric gender dysphoria cases. Then across the Western world, there began to be a dramatic increase in a new population. Teenage girls, many with no previous history of gender distress, suddenly declared they were transgender and demanded immediate treatment with testosterone. Now, mind you, this is what Abigail Schreier wrote in her book, Irreversible Damage that what she was studying were teenage girls who were appearing in clusters. She said, when I started, there were 10 girls, uh, um, maybe 10 girls a a month. When I left, there were 50, and about 70% of the new patients were girls. Sometimes clusters of girls arrived from the same high school. This concerned me, but I didn't feel I was in the position to sound the alarm back then. There was a team of about eight of us and only one other person brought up the kinds of questions I had. Anyone who raised doubts ran the risk of being called a transphobe. The girls who came to us had many comorbidities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. Many were diagnosed with autism or had autism-like symptoms. A report last year on a British pediatric transgender center, which by the way is now closed, found that about one-third of the patients referred there were on the autism spectrum. Frequently, our patients declared they had disorders that no one believed they had. We had patients who said they had Tourette syndrome, but they didn't. They said they had tic disorders, but they didn't. That they had multiple personalities, but they didn't. The doctors privately recognized these false self-diagnosis as a manifestation of social contagion. They even acknowledged that suicide has an element of social contagion. But when I said the clusters of girls streaming into our service looked as if their gender issues might be a manifestation of social contagion, the doctors said gender identity reflected something innate. To begin transitioning, the girls needed a letter of support from a therapist, usually one we recommended, who they had to see only once or twice before the green light. To make it more efficient for the therapist, we offered them a template for how to write a letter in support of transition. The next stop was one visit to the endocrinologist for a testosterone prescription. That's all it took. When a female takes testosterone, the profound and permanent effects of the hormone can be seen in a matter of months. Voice drops, beards sprout, body fat is redistributed, sexual interest explodes, aggression increases, and mood can be unpredictable. Our patients were told about some side effects, including sterility, but after working at the center, I came to believe that teenagers are simply not capable of fully grasping what it means to make the decision to become infertile while still a minor. It goes on and on and on and on. You have to read this article. It's on Substack. Um, it's, I'm trying to remember which sub The Free Press. It's on, on Barry Weiss's uh, Substack. And uh, if you don't subscribe to it, you should. And you should read this. This is, uh, this is so disturbing. Like I said, I was sobbing by the end of it. What we have done to our children is criminal. It's absolutely criminal. And they're doing it as we speak. Anyway, um, don't forget to download the 850 app, 850 WFTL. That way you can get all breaking news and you can uh, participate in a bunch of contests. We have a whole bunch of contests that are available as well. And don't forget, you know, we have, uh, uh, we have a contest where you have two ways to win. You can either register to win the sweepstakes at our website 
or whenever you listen on the 850 WFTL mobile app, we have tickets to the Duncan Theater. We've got um, a gift card for Bole Fresh Bold Kitchen. And then we even have a pair of tickets to South Florida's most delicious country music festival, the Rib Roundup. So get on get on the website or download the app. If All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAP Podcasts Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. You had to name somebody in politics right now who you think would be the poster child for white trash. James Carville would definitely be high up on the list, right? I mean, come on. I don't know why Mary Matlin married this guy or why they stay married. I really don't. I mean, uh, he ain't cute. He ain't clever. But he certainly was a big player in the Clinton campaign, and I guess somehow that impressed her. But... um, he was on MSLSD, not that I watch it, but I did get to read uh, on Breitbart what happened, right? He's on MSLSD, and he says there's a staggering amount of white trashdom in the GOP, and that Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia dresses like white trash. The, the height of hypocrisy, Okay. Because let me tell you something, that, that, that white coat that everybody is, you know, calling white trash is a beautiful coat. You know, if, let me t- put it to you this way, if Kim Kardashian or Beyonce was wearing that coat, we'd all be rushing out to get the coat, or the media would be. But because it was on a conservative woman from Georgia, they felt empowered to call her white trash or to say, you know, of any num of the view, they were like beating her up on the view for wearing that. And I'm thinking to myself, has anybody noticed how Whoopi Goldberg dresses? It's disgusting with the big baggy T-shirts and ugh, and, and sweatshirts. I mean, she's gross anyway, but she her clothing, for her to sit there and talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was wearing a beautiful coat she got in Wyoming, really was the height of ridiculous, or James Carville. I mean- Although you must admit, who would know white trash better than James Carville? You know, uh, maybe his his uh, sister had the same coat or something. Um, he said that if there were a a PhD in white trashology, that you could write a dissertation on Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert of Colorado. Okay, sounds uh. Sounds a little bizarre. Did, did he also want to pick up uh, pick on uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, who's from Arkansas? I'm sure he could have figured out how to put her in that white trash. Him. 
that's what kills me about the left, right? They're always accusing people who are conservatives, people on the right, as they like to refer to them, of being uh, bigoted and, you know, just always being intolerant. They are the most intolerant people on planet Earth. Every last one of them. And some of the things that are going on, they take such enormous pleasure in. They like to see people uh, lose their jobs. Uh, now the Biden administration and the IRS with its 87,000 agents, which I'm really hoping that the Republicans do something about, now uh, they're going after, and you can hear it in my thought of the day, they're actually going after the tips of people who are trying to scratch out a living waiting on tables or delivering pizza. They say, oh, we won't tax anybody who's making less than $400,000 a year. Their taxes won't go up. Well, if you literally start micromanaging the tip declarations of employees and making their employers spy on them and release that information to the IRS, how is that not literally taxing the weakest and the poorest of among, among us? You know, a single mom who's working at Wendy's or a single mom who's working at uh, Cracker Barrel? She's the one you got to find out if she's telling the truth or not? When you got uh, AOC making $200,000 a year? Come on, guys. Don't, don't tolerate this stuff. So now the big thing that they are all giddy about is that James O'Keefe is on paid leave because apparently there's, uh, you know, there's some trouble inside of Project Veritas. Now, I remember when James Keith was the most unknown person out there on the planet. And the only reason that he uh, came to prominence was because of the acorn story that that he broke with um, with a, a young lady from here in South Florida. And apparently the organization got more legit as years went by, Project Veritas, and they have a board, like any organization, particularly nonprofits, have to have a board. And the board is considering removing him from a leadership role, according to a report by New York Magazine. Now, first, I have to caution everybody when I talk about this story. I don't believe much of what I read in New York Magazine. But that being said, I do believe a lot of what I see on Breitbart, so I'm thinking they vetted this story. Anyway, the report claims to have spoken to current and former employees. The report states that Project Veritas employees were sent an internal message by the organization's executive director, Daniel Strack, which stated that O'Keefe was taking a few weeks of well-deserved paid time off. The message was allegedly seen by the outlet and later confirmed by a current employee at Project Veritas. The alleged message said that the company was in a distracting time, mentioning that two Project Veritas executives had been reinstated who were allegedly fired by O'Keefe recently. Reporters contacted O'Keefe via his personal cell phone, but the investigative journalist declined to comment on calls or text messages. Now, I will say this. I have uh, James's cell phone, and I put in a call, and did not, he did not answer. Um, it, it was, the mailbox was full, so I didn't leave a message. But look, this is a newsroom like every other newsroom, right? 
and they're always going to be evaluating what's best for the organization, right? I mean, let's face it. James O'Keefe has taken a sharp turn to the glamorous in the last couple of years. The last time I saw James was um, at the screening of 20,000 Mules or 2,000 Mules, whatever the Dinesh D'Souza project was with uh, True the Vote. And he had an entourage. And the last couple of times I've seen him, he's had an entourage. But he had a really strange entourage at this uh, event. And, you know, trying to get talk to him or, or have more than, you know, a hello with him was really unbelievably hard. And I've known James since before he had anything approaching fame and fortune. He used to come into my studio and sit with me. And so I, and then when he was uh, working together with Laura Loomer, the two of them would come on the show. I mean, come on, guys. You know, Project Veritas blew up, but it took years. It took well over a decade for that to happen. And all of a sudden, he went from being like a pretty humble guy to starring in Oklahoma. <laughs> Please don't even get me started about that, although he can sing and dance. Uh, starring in Oklahoma and having an entourage and, you know, always having a different, beautiful girl on his arm instead of his, uh, you know, girlfriend. And I, I don't know what that is. You know, I don't know what, why that happens to people when they go to Washington or when they report on Washington. But it does. Uh, to our supporters, we hear you, we care about you, we will never give up. That's what they're saying at Project Veritas. A different report claimed that a third of the company's employees wrote an internal memo claiming that O'Keefe had been particularly mean to workers. Employees allegedly felt publicly humiliated by O'Keefe, suffering through what was described as public crucifixions. I would describe Project Veritas' current environment with this saying, the beatings will continue until morale improves, a staffer allegedly wrote in the memo. According to the report, the employees have many odd claims, ranging from polygraph tests to spitting and all the way to food stealing. The reports remain unverified. However, New York Magazine reports that a source inside the company claims that Project Veritas is divided between board members and employees. The board is allegedly dissatisfied with O'Keefe's management, while a group of employees remain loyal to the founder. So I'm going to be following that story real closely because, you see, there's two feelings that I get immediately. One is the left trying to trash him again. They've done it before. Or two, did he go Hollywood? You just never know. All right, let me take a break. And uh, you stay right where you are because my intention is to be right back. I can't even tell you how many people just keep uh, texting me and emailing me whenever I bring up the subject of these vaccines. You know, this friend has lost 70 pounds. This friend's, you know, got just depressed and on all kinds of antidepressants. This one hasn't been out of bed in two months. It's really, it's sad. And you can't ask the question, right? Immediately, it's like, oh, what are you, some kind of uh, right-wing nut? Neoconservative moron? You know, maybe I'm just a little nervous about some of the lasting effects that we're starting to see emerge. But no, don't, 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 don't ask. Don't ask, don't tell, right? Just uh, continue to pretend that everything is okay. <laughs> right? 
Oh my goodness. So anyway, that was, those were some of the stories that I had to cover and that were breaking my heart. And really, if it doesn't break your heart, I don't know what will. To think of what we've done to to teenage girls, I've been getting a lot of feedback about my saying that, you know, there's something wrong when you have so many um, boys growing into men without fathers. And I, I can't believe how many of you have responded to that. And all of you saying the same thing, that you can't believe it either. And it's very concerning. And nobody wants to talk about it. Much like, you know, nobody wants to talk. I was over at the uh, Broward County Jail this morning visiting someone. And, you know, she shared with me, and she's a kid. You know, she's a young person, like just out of her teens, or maybe still in 19 or something like that. And in for a very, very, very serious crime. And, you know, she was she was saying some things that were so amazing to me. She's super bright um, and uh, basically got coerced into committing a crime by a guy, which is a pretty common refrain. And she was talking about, like, she wants to, when, you know, she gets out, she wants to do a, a podcast or recordings or whatever, you know, th this is a whole new age. When I was young, you wanted to go on the radio. Now nobody wants to go on the radio. They want to do a podcast or they want to have their own website or whatever. And she was saying to me, she's an African-American, and she said to me, you know, I really want to talk about if black lives matter, why don't we talk about black on black crime ever? And I'm like, I don't want to say nothing, right? Because I don't want to be called anything. I don't need anybody making any aspersions. I don't know who's listening when I'm visiting. So I just sat there. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, I, I live out there in in, in uh, one of the areas in, in Broward County that's, uh, shall we say, less than desirable. And not because it's made up of minorities, but because it's just, uh, you know, it's near a dump and you know it's just a, a, a less desirable neighborhood to grow up in you smell the dump all the time and I don't know it's just it's just not a great place to live and she said and really the 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 crime that's happening in my neighborhood and part of which is you know came home to roost in her life she said is not you know it's not white people committing crimes against me or my, my friends. It's, it's, it's other black people. And she goes, and we're not allowed to talk about that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe there is hope. Maybe the future generation will see that riling up all this antipathy towards other races is really um, not addressing problems. You know, it's much easier if we can blame everything on something like racism than if we actually have to think about like what actually is going on and why are people living in their own communities and wreaking havoc, burning down their communities when they uh, something bad happens, you know? Like that can't be the best way to deal with it. You know, the, the civil rights movement was not comprised of people, uh, you know, burning down Watts or, or burning down Liberty City or burning down, you name the place, you know, Harlem. No, those areas were safe spots, essentially, for people who were living in, in, in hostile cities or hostile counties, whatever. I mean, certainly uh, um, you, you can't, you cannot say that it, it's helpful 
to drive all the businesses out of any given neighborhood. You can't tell me that you think it's a good idea to burn down apartment buildings where people live. To, to shoot young kids who go to the grocery store, you know, because they're, they're part of gang initiations. These are not good things. And yet, oh, you don't have to talk about that. No, no, no. The problem is, you know, uh, Derek Chauvin. And believe me, Derek Chauvin was a problem, but he's not the biggest problem. And it was just interesting to have a young girl who's really uh, learning more about the criminal justice system than anybody who uh, goes to these protests and marches up and down the street, okay? She knows what happens in the criminal justice system. She knows all about the unfairness of it, and she knows all about uh, the, the populations that find themselves incarcerated. And I, I just, you know, I, I keep thinking, I'm, I'm ever hopeful, ever optimistic that eventually we're gonna get to a time and a place in this country where we can have honest conversations about everything. Because we're in, uh, we're in dire straits. Anybody who doesn't think we are must be living in la-la land. You must be on like a medication or something because most of us out here are just trying to navigate things and not go out of our minds, be able to, you know, have conversations with people we don't agree with. I have literally had to walk away from friends because they cannot have a conversation with me without going off the deep end, whether it's uh, on the left or whether it's conservatives who, you know, if I want to support Donald Trump, well, then they're just going to, you know, uh, assault me and, and abuse me for it. And I, you know, I finally had to say to them, you're just as bad as the left. You're completely intolerant, not to mention completely disloyal, you know, and stop, you know, just stop with all of your uh, efforts to make me think that somehow I don't have a right to have my opinion. Like the, the, the left is the worst at it, but the right has become just uh, pretty darn good at it as well. And th this is a bad formula for living in a country comprised of people with many different backgrounds, many different viewpoints. Uh, if we cannot talk at all, even with the people who are uh, ostensibly on the same side we're on, then this is just going to be like Belgium or like Canada, which is not good, you know? Uh, e pluribus unum means from many one. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, everybody gets to stake out their own spot and never the twain shall meet. That doesn't work. Or at least uh, it doesn't, it doesn't work well. You know, I've seen it tried. It never ever has the results that you would hope. Um, people don't learn. You know, when you ghettoize people or when you marginalize one group and, and elevate another group, there's always going to be bitterness and there's always going to be a conflict. I look at Canada with, you know, all that went on with this, uh, you know, language. Oh, you're going to speak? Are you going to do this? You're gonna... And everybody was like, hmm, you know, it'll be fine if we have multiple languages and we have to do street signs in every language. And then I'm down here and I'm, um, when I first come down here, I'm like stunned. I grew up in New York where there's every kind of person from every kind of country where there's, you know, lots of Spanish speaking people, French and everything, everything, Japanese, Chinese, you name it. But our street signs were all in English. You know, school was in English. There was no 
bilingual classes. There was no, none of this, you know, stuff. You went to school, people like in my, in my neighborhood, you know, there were a lot of Hispanics who were newly arrived in, in America, but even if they were American citizens, like from Puerto Rico, like my family was, they didn't speak English. They, they sent their little kids to school to learn how to speak English, to teach the older people how to speak English. So, you know, it's not like any of this is new. What's new is the fact that we just, uh, we seem incapable of expecting anything from anybody. Oh, we got to make it easier. We got to make it really easy. Well, nothing worth having should come too easy. That's all I'm going to tell you. With my own kids, no, you don't get a car. And no, you don't get this. And no, you don't get that. Go get a job. When you pay for the insurance, you can have a car. And it'll be a jalopy because that's what kids drive around in, okay? It'll be a tank because I always worried about them. But no, you don't get a Mercedes and you don't get me to pay all your insurance and you get to do whatever you want. No, that's not how it works. And it's not that I was incapable of providing, well, I was incapable of providing a Mercedes, but I could have bought him, you know, a Toyota. I did actually, Virginia. Poor Derek, he paid the price. He had to drive around and beat up old Bronco for years because Jenya burned me so bad on a Honda Accord and a Toyota Supra that I got to drive four times. It was my car and she totaled it. But anyway. She survived. That was the good thing. So I'm just telling you, there's so much going on. And I'm grateful that you guys email me and tell me that it's going on in your world as well. So uh, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock is Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock is Ben Shapiro. At 6 o'clock, the WPTV News. And then uh, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., the Jen, Bill, and Stephen Diener morning show will be back. So much, so much fun listening to Jen being there. I can't help it. I'm, I'm, I'm very partial to Jen. Anyway, I'm going to come back and finish one last segment. Stay right where you are. They say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But in the case of Derek Kaufman, the apple rolled all the way to L.A. The one thing Derek and his mother share in common, however, is the love for breaking news. TMZ is breaking news faster than the New York Times. So sit back and enjoy the news from Hollywood. It's only the Kaufman family can bring it. Surprised me even. The uh, Kaufman kid from California decided he could call in this afternoon, even though I didn't have an opportunity to run it by him. How you doing, kid? I'm hanging in there, you know. We're, uh, we're, we're rolling right along. Everything is kind of back to normal around here. So it's uh, it's. it's it's nice to just have a, a normally functioning functioning business. It doesn't feel like COVID anymore for for the first time in a long time. Yeah, well, th- didn't your uh, mayor insist that people still have to wear masks and kids in schools have to wear masks? So it's not completely it's, over. It's basically over now. You know, okay. you walk through grocery stores without a care in the world. It it really does feel like the old world came back, and I wasn't sure it ever would. Amen. Well, I mean, we've never really gotten strayed too far from that. And of course, you all made fun of us, but we did fine. <laughs> so welcome to reality. I'm glad for you. I was sad, though, today. I mean, a couple of people died this week that really just, um, you know, well, for me, certainly, uh, Burt Bacharach is, is someone that, you know, just his his music is the soundtrack of my life. Yeah, you know, this is really sad. He passed away at the age of 94. He is been famous i was thinking about it my entire life he was a legend when i was born and i'm 42 years old and i came into the world and he was already lauded uh because he's had this career that basically dates back to the 50s 
Mm-hmm. Um, early 60s was when he really took off with, uh, you know, Dionne Warwick. And basically, you know, uh, she's a legend herself, and he he was her muse. Mm-hmm. Um, and Raindrops keep falling on my head. You can't the watch movies from the 70s without thinking of Burt Bacharach. You can't yeah. watch Arthur. He did the theme song from that. So just an absolute legend. Died of natural causes after, you know, a very long life, and, and he will be uh, celebrated for a long time. Yeah, I would imagine so. But it just, uh, you know, as I said to you recently, as I watched the list grow longer and longer of people we've lost, I'm getting closer to the front of the line here, Derek. <laughs> Better take me on a cruise or something. <laughs> well, we told you. We'll get you, we'll get you on a cruise for the for the big milestone birthday coming up. So don't yeah. worry about that. Maybe we'll play some... Uh... Burt Bacharach or some some of the some of the cover <laughs> songs that you've been telling me about uh, Neil Diamond. You know you know you're, you raised the son who loves them. So I do. I know that. But my son is not a big Britney Spears fan. But don't you feel sorry for her, Derek? You guys broke the story all the time about how she's really just manic. Yeah, that was that. Guess you're not allowed to speak about Britney Spears. I'm sure he'll call back. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you talk about Britney Spears, your phones will disconnect. That and COVID, okay? And I mentioned that in the first segment. So um, I probably broke all the rules that we would normally um, not break on this show. So we'll see if we can get Derek back on. If not, a lot. The call call must have dropped, but I was telling you all about Britney Spears, so I'll tell you again. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is a really dire situation going on with, with Britney. And now a lot of concerned family members want to stage kind of an intervention. You know, there's a worry that she's not taking the medications that she needs, that there mm-hmm. may be some substance abuse, uh, and it's getting quite dire. And we're watching it in real time. We've talked to multiple sources, um, and they're just alarmed by the erratic behavior. You know, we've seen some of it at restaurants uh, when she does go out with, with Sam, her husband, and or maybe talking to herself or having dust up with her husband and storming out of restaurants, being uncomfortable around paparazzi and so forth. Um, and it's, it seems like a dangerous situation. What this is bringing up is, you know, Jamie Spears was her conservator for years, and now I think a lot of people are reflecting on, does she need a conservatorship? Maybe not that one. Maybe that right. one was abusive, but maybe it's an issue of casting the right person to really look after her because um, – no one wants to see this end in any sort of tragic situation, and they say it's getting quite bad. Well, and the bottom line is, you know, all this fame and glory and fashion, you know, maybe that has to be put aside. Um, being out there in the public and having all the expectations of a fan base is too much for, like, people with their smarts. I mean, I, I think that she needs uh, some time off. There's no question and some care. So we'll, 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 I'll pray for her. That's all, that's all that's left for us. And hopefully her family will do the right thing. Her, her new husband will, will help this. I hope so. Cause she's very well, she's very beloved, you know, yeah. it, it, she's had her ups and downs obviously. And uh, you know, it's a difficult situation because she likes her Liberty and is probably paranoid about going back into conservatorship, but something does need to be done. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, that's more important to keep her alive you know, than anything else. Uh, I'll tell you, one person that people uh, are wondering if she's gone crazy is Pamela Anderson. Like, what happened? Is she she's still in love with Tommy Lee? What is that? Yeah. You know, this is wild. So she's back in the news. Pam and Tommy, you know, I haven't thought about them for a while. But during the pandemic, a, a series released that was uh, kind of a hit with Seth Rogen and, and so forth. And now she has a documentary on Netflix where she's sort of waxing poetically about uh, her time with Tommy Lee because she's been married several times, but the way she talks about Kid Rock and Rick Solomon, the subsequent husband, 
are not the way she sort of talks about Tommy, who she shares two children with, now grown, both are adults. Um, but she's, uh, she says it was the love of her life, and she apparently has been texting him a lot. Now, Tommy Lee is a, a married man. He's married yeah. to a woman named Brittany Furlan, who's much younger, but sort of a TikTok-era type star. Right. Uh, and it looks like Pam is just texting nice things. Now, some of it seems to be nostalgia and maybe preparing him for the documentary that was coming out. But some people are saying, oh, it looks like she's kind of flirting with a married man. So some oh. people are not taking it as well. It looks like Tommy's not responding to the right. text messages. They're all coming from Pam, which is the responsible thing to do as a married man. But I can imagine Brittany, his new wife, not loving this. Yeah. Well, one final question that I, of course, have to ask you. Chiefs or Eagles? You know, as much as I uh, think the Eagles have had a magical season, I think Patrick Mahomes is too much to deal with in the Super Bowl, and he's sort of shaping up to be the uh, successor to Tom Brady and putting together a career like that. So I'm going to pick the Chiefs. Wow. All right. Yeah. We're, we're not on the same t- uh, side this time, but uh, it'll make it interesting. Want to put a little wager on it? Call you think me later. I just root for any team that wears green? That's not how it works. <laughs> But I do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, you guys have a, have a great evening, and I, I will talk to you soon. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. Well, that was a surprise, but a good one, right? I thank you for your time this time until next time. You never know what's going to happen, right? You could have a surprise visit from Derek on a Thursday. You might be building him in on Thursdays more often. I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon If it be his will and he delays his coming, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then may God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. R.I.P. Burt Bacharach. See you all tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.